Hey, welcome to episode 48 of Tangible Takeaways. I'm Jackson, and today I'm going to talk about how we have to pray like it's all in God's hands and work like it's all in our hands. And I'm Todd, and I'm going to talk today a little bit about how do we replace those lenses that are tinted and tainted and actually put on lenses that Jesus would have us see our world through. All that and more on this episode of Tangible Takeaways. so much for taking the time. Good to be with you. Always good to chat. Yeah, it'll be a a fun, this has been just a great series. It feels very um, just clearly like there's clear ties between our world today and some of the situations that we're facing and what Esther's going through. And even though maybe the the scope and the scale feels different, um, it definitely feels like there's been clear parallels for us. And one of the interesting topics that's come up is we've been getting familiar with Esther um, within the story, just her character, is she's very winsome. She's got this very kind of winsome approach and she seems to win over all of the people um, that she interacts with. And now this is the really the big challenge. She's got to win over the king. She's won him over once, but she's got to win him over on a much bigger issue here um, to save her people. And um, I, I think as we're seeing this plan unfold where she's not straight to the point, right? She comes up to him the first time and invites him to lunch. And then he's like, seriously, what's your, he asked her already, what's your request? Come to lunch, gets to lunch. What's your request? Come to lunch tomorrow. Right? So she just kind of seems to keep punting it. She's clearly got a plan. And I think for some people, they would look at that and they would feel like that just doesn't feel like Esther has a lot of faith. Like, is this cunningness, this plan that she's using, does that stand in opposition to living like a life of faith? Um, Because I think some of us, we would feel like, man, if you've got faith, then just go do the thing, just go ask the question and live with the consequences kind of thing. Yeah, and to back up even, I agree. I think there's so many timely things in this narrative that um, I don't think I really recognized how parallel it is with the things we're going on in our world today. And I think about this idea of being cunning, being shrewd, being um, just really thoughtful, I think is honestly another way, but strategic. It's a thoughtful strategic or strategic that's got thoughtfulness connected. And I feel like what it comes down to, I don't think it's like a lot of things related to faith that it's this or that, right? I think there are times, and and if you walk out the story of Esther, if her approach is not going to work, then it's like, well, I don't know what else to do. I've 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 used, and I think it comes back to this really proverbial concept of wisdom. Uh, Proverbs has so much to say uh, about not just if you do this, life generally goes this way, but it gives so much good admonition. We saw that at the end of the message as well, some great things from Proverbs, but so much admonition about being wise. Mm. And I got to think that what, what rightly so we've seen up till chapter five was this sense of, of winsomeness. I think now it almost kind of pivots into wisdom Mm. that, that could be a little different from that. And I think what she's probably done is she's, in a sense, exegeted the king. She knows how he rolls. Mm. And they've been, you know, king and queen for a few years at this point. And I think she's just figuring out, I think this would be the most advantageous method 
to use to bring this uh, request, which is huge, in, in the one hand, please don't do what you've <laughs> said you're going to do. Yeah. Um, but by building a sense of intrigue, building a sense of drama, uh, mystery into what's going on, I just think she knew her audience well. Mm. And I think she realized this is the best shot I have. And and then the question is, what was she doing for those three days, right? Remember, that's how it, it wasn't just Mordecai saying, you got to do something. She goes, you go and fast. And I'm thinking fasting almost always has prayer connected to it. Yeah. I'll go do the same and get all these other people to do this as well. I guess my question is, why wouldn't we, in a weird way, almost assume that was God laying out for her, Esther, do it this way. You've already committed. Yeah. You're going to step up. Let me give you the path. Let me give you the how. Yeah. And I think it's, I think that's tricky for some of us who would maybe look at faith as like faith is exclusively just blind steps off of cliffs. You know, you think of that like great scene in Indiana Jones where that cliff is not really a cliff and it looks like it is though and he's got to just step off and it's like the leap of faith thing and I think that's what people feel like faith is and so this thing of Esther just feels like hey he points the scepter at you when you get there like just take the step girl but at the same time she's got this very like methodical plan and I think in some ways a little of it is feel-based too right because you've got um it's like that parallel of of like asking your parents for something you and I know this situation well. Um, we do. You know when it's a good time to ask your parents for something. Yeah. You know when it's a bad time. And so I think in some ways, too, Esther's kind of feeling out where the king is at, right? And even maybe at that lunch, it just doesn't feel like we're arriving there naturally enough yeah. yet. And so it just doesn't feel right. Let's let's punt it to the next lunch. Yeah. And so there is some of it that's feel-based, too. I, I think about the... Um, I just think this is such a helpful thing for us to get right in our thinking about faith because so many of us lack winsomeness, maybe because we're trying to live a life of faith, but really we're just kind of like, you know, a bowl in a china shop because mm -hmm. we're just kind of taking jumps of faith in all of our relationships, burning bridges mm -hmm. instead of being winsome about it. I think of that great, I'm pretty sure it's Oswald Chambers who says um, to work like it's all in God's, or work like it's all in our hands and pray like it's all in God's hands. Mm. And I think that's such a great, like, tension that it seems like Esther's living in of like, okay, I'm going to take three days to fast and to pray like it's all in God's hands. But then I'm also going to come up with a plan like it's all up to me. Yeah. And I've got to, like, and I think that tension helps us put the work and the effort into it that we need to. Because I think so often we do the little 30-second flare prayer up to God and then we just jump. And then we're like, why didn't things work out better? Yeah. And, and I think in her story, like we said a minute ago, I don't think we want to try to boil it down to one or the other. It's either faith or it's strategy. Yeah. Like they, they can't mix because I think even in the Esther narrative, that's what you see. Where was the faith? I could die just by literally getting in his view if I haven't been summoned. Yeah. That was the faith. It yeah. was, okay, and what does she say? Even if I die, I, she promises her relative uh, Mordecai, I'm going to do it. There was the faith right there. Like, yeah. I have no idea. I'm going to roll the dice. I have no idea how this is going to go. I'm just going to take this step of faith. But it's what she does after 
the faith, we would see as beautiful strategy. So I feel like that's what's great about this story is it feels like they're both needed. And we look at our own lives and we kind of go, yeah, that's kind of the same thing. There are times in my life where I would rather be quiet. I would rather not act because of what's probably going to happen. But how I speak and how I act require wisdom. So I feel like it's usually a combination of both of those realities, and that's why we shouldn't get into a game of it's one or the other, Yeah. right? There, it's rare it feels like that it's ever just faith. There might be moments like that in our lives, but there usually is an application of wisdom in the steps of faith that I take. We need to put those together. And even, you know, in a great example with our own oikos, right? Mm-hmm. Thinking through those conversations that we want to have with them, right? That's something that we pray about. Lord, I'm praying for organic opportunities for us to just be able to talk about you and how good you've been to me and for maybe them to ask some questions that they have. Um, But then on the other side, man, I've got to be wise in that, right? Now in in the conversation, I've got to be feel-based a little bit with it, feel like, are we going there? Or maybe next time, maybe next lunch is when we're going to go there. And I'm not going to force it. And I think sometimes we're real good at maybe the praying part. Um, and then we just jump in and don't think too much on the wisdom side. Or we're real good on the wisdom part and we're just kind of waiting all the time. And we're like, why don't we get good opportunities to talk Ooh. to people in our oikos? Maybe it's because I'm not praying about it, yeah. right? And so I think there is this beautiful, man, you put the both of those together and now we're using, we're putting kind of our whole selves into it through the wisdom aspect, but we're also bringing all of our faith into it as well through the prayer aspect as well. Yeah. And at the end of the day, the beautiful thing is, I think sometimes why Christians are reticent to talk about the wisdom, the strategy side, is then that we'll be apt to take the credit. Mm. So did Esther walk away going, man, I killed it. Nailed it. I was awesome. I don't think so. As we see the story unfold, she's going to be fearfully grateful for how God works. Well, similarly, as God's working through us and the lives of those we do life with in our oikos, if God is beginning to change a heart or to kind of awaken someone to spiritual things, we don't walk out of there going, man, I'm amazing. I'm the best. I, it was so good when I said, we just go, God, I can't believe you're using me to get to be a part of this process. So I just feel like even that that concern of, oh, we're just going to all get big heads, I just don't see it happening in real life. I feel like people go, man, I'm just grateful how God worked. We keep giving him the credit. Yeah. And another thing you brought up, I felt like there were just a lot of um, very tangible things that uh, were brought up in this message in particular throughout the whole series, but this message for sure. Another thing was lenses, right? And the lenses that we use to look at other people and how there are those people for each of us in our life that it feels as though, man, everything that they do is just the worst. I just can't see a good thing about this person uh, as the day is long. And so how do we, I, I guess that could be a good way to identify a lens that we're using, but how do we identify some of those lenses in our life? But then I think even more importantly, how do we begin to remove those lenses and see those people for who they really are instead of kind of the things that we've cast upon them? Yeah, I think in the last couple of years, um, 
I, I couldn't before really identify with people who would tell me when this name even comes up or I see them from a distance or I get that text. I literally get like nauseous or knots in my stomach. I didn't know what that was. I didn't disbelieve them, but I'm like, but what I had done previous to that is I would go, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going fine through my day. And then I just become kind of downcast when that name comes up or, and, and I think it's litmus test, right? It's always kind of like, look in the mirror, do some evaluation. And if my day's going fine, until it doesn't matter that that person even did anything. It's just their name comes up. Then you go, whoa, you know, it's everything seems crashing down. Wait a second, what's happening here? Like nothing's even happened but it's obviously what has happened that is. And so I think that's one of the evidences that I use of litmus test, but then you go deeper when you've really been hurt by someone. It, I experienced that in this last season was literally just knots in my stomach over their name mm. being mentioned. And I realize there's almost like varying degrees of lenses, right? Some that are there because we just feel like like we said this week, it seems like everything they do just irritates or hurts or frustrates or whatever. That's one thing. But then there's almost this other degree, like a deeper, darker set of lenses that usually relates to when people have hurt us deeply. Mm. And it's almost like when there's no transaction of any kind of forgiveness, any kind of uh, redemption or reconciliation, man, that's just a whole nother level of just it over it can be overwhelming just the thought of them and what they've done so talk about and my point is that's got to be evidence there's something wrong in that relationship your body is literally telling you you've got a problem with this person Yeah. yeah so to me the identification part that is seems really obvious but even the lesser degree of oh my day was going great until they showed up or until they called or, you know, whatever. I or saw the email. Or even if I'm trying to avoid somebody, mm-hmm. right? Like if I'm actively, if I take active steps throughout my day to avoid somebody, pretty good indication. Yeah. Yeah. I've got some lenses towards them. Totally. And I think it, it just begins with at least identify that. Let's be honest, be real with the sense of there's a problem, right, in the relationship. And if I can get that far, then I can begin dealing with it. And that's what I appreciate about the people of HDC. I feel like often and a lot of conversations or counseling, there's usually that honesty. But now the issue is, okay, I've got a problem with this person, how they act, how they speak, how they've treated me. Now what? What am I going to do? Yeah. And I think that's really now that next step we need to begin identifying. Yeah. Yeah. And so what would you say, okay, I've realized I've got some lenses towards this person. Um, and maybe maybe two-pronged if it, if it feels different to you. One is, man, it's kind of mostly me. I just don't like this person. I don't like what they do. Um, the other side is I've been deeply hurt by this person what's kind of my path forward to not live with those lenses towards them anymore? I think for me, I guess I'd say it in two ways. One, on the front, if it's more me, right? If I can be honest about that, they just irritate me or I'm so frustrated. They're socially awkward, fill in the blank, whatever it is. I think it's kind of going, okay, God, um, I have to recognize even, and and that, that view is there for a reason. It's not a blank slate, right? There's water under the bridge. But I think what I have to do is keep asking myself, and that's what we did at the staff retreat, 
Colossians 3 kind of finishes with this idea. It says, clothe yourself, right? Put on the garments of. But I think that's another way of saying what are true of lenses, you're putting them on. Mm. So actively change the lenses. And that's what's beautiful about the epistles is they often will talk about disengage from this behavior. So if you realize I've got a bent, negative bent towards this person, I've got to realize that and I've got to pull back. I've got to go, I can't keep looking at them that way. But if I don't put something in that vacuum, I'm going to be right back at it. Mm. So I've got to replace that with a new pair of lenses that are looking at them with compassion. What is their backstory? Why are they acting the way they are? Most people don't act that way. What's going on? Kindness, yeah. patience, um, humility. Those are all from Colossians 3. That's what I need to be replacing my kind of negative bad attitude lenses with, with these. And I believe if I'll do that vo volitionally, I will begin to see changes and I'll give them more of the benefit of the doubt. I'll believe the best. Yeah. On the hurt side, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. I love the great quote, you can't hate someone you're praying for. Hmm. And I feel like that's just got to be that where it begins. I remember early on uh, when I came to HTC, leaving a, a church situation up in Oregon, I had a friend ask me, or I, I told him, I said, I, I'm having a problem forgiving this person. And I remember him looking at me and saying, has he asked you? for forgiveness? And I thought, no. And the reality is that was 20 years ago. I'm still waiting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> haven't, haven't ever had him ask. And that probably will never happen. Yeah. So then I've got to do some things. I've got, okay, practically, if that person doesn't see themselves in the wrong, doesn't want to ask for forgiveness, whatever, I think there's almost these two aspects of forgiveness because the other part, interestingly enough, in Colossians 3, forgive, as the Lord forgave you. Yeah. So I think as I'm praying for them and, and I can't just keep living on that hope that they'll ask me for forgiveness of what they've done, I think I have to be able to go, God, but if they ever did, I've already dealt with that with you and me. Yeah. And it would actually not be a challenge to go, well, let me pray about it. Let me think about it. Nope. I've already made that decision before God and I have forgiven them because of if nothing else, how deeply I've been forgiven. Yeah. And so I think it's that prayer forgiveness thing that even if it never happens transactionally this way, it has happened this way, vertically with me and God. Yeah. And I think that's what's so difficult for so many is there are so many relationships that we're in that we will never get the, I'm sorry from that person, will you please forgive me? And that becomes so much more challenging to forgive. And I think what's so cool, though, is that the Lord, in the space of prayer, creates a space for us to kind of work that out with Him. And I think that's hard work that we have to do because it is so much like less satisfying immediately. It feels like, Lord, they're just not going to get it. Like they're not, I'm not going to be vindicated for the way that I've been wronged. Like all of those things start coming to mind. And then those great reminders from the Lord of all of the ways that he's forgiven us. And I think that's the tough work that we have to do in those hurt spaces is to come to the Lord. I recently had somebody who had been deeply hurt by somebody else come to me and say, I think the Lord is giving me permission to cut this person out of my life because of how deeply I've been hurt by them. And I said, I don't think you're listening to the Lord. Like I would just check that uh, 
voice, wherever that voice is coming from, because I don't think the Lord is going to give you permission to cut anybody out of your life. I think you're being called to forgive as he's forgiven. And um, as challenging as that is, as frustrating as that is, um, I think as Christians, we can be seeing like, okay, well, that was the last straw. And you just have those great scriptures that come to mind of the Jesus telling Peter, okay, Lord, what if I forgive him 70 times? He's 70 times seven, Peter. Mm -hmm. Like, I want you to keep forgiving these people because of how much I've forgiven you. Um, and I think that's challenging for us because we initially think a kind of almost like a fake forgiveness of like, okay, stuff it down. I'm not going to deal with it. I forgive you, you know, but instead I think the context of prayer becomes this really beautiful spot for us to kind of work that out very intimately with the Lord and say, Lord, I don't feel like forgiving them. And it's not like a one and done kind of thing. I kind of come back to it because each time that their name comes up and I get those knots again, it's time for me to come back to the Lord and say, Lord, I still am having a hard time forgiving this person. I'm all queasy about it. Like I need to lay this down again. Right. Yeah. So I think that becomes such a cool and like faith building space for us there. Um, and honestly, especially for the non-believers that we do life with who hurt us on a regular basis, I'm thinking family members and things like that, man, there is um, such a cool testimony in not allowing that to cloud your relationship with them um, and to work towards obviously having good boundaries with the person, not just letting them repeatedly hurt me over and over again, but at the same time, um, continuing to live in forgiveness towards them creates such a beautiful testimony for what the Lord's done in our life because it is so weird. Like, n nobody else does that. Yeah. And we really kind of have the market on that as Christians of forgiving people who haven't asked for forgiveness. And uh, so that catches them off guard. And then as you were even talking of, like, clothing ourselves in those different things, I, it got me thinking about those lenses that are more our problem. Um, I think man, some great steps that people can even take practically is get a little closer to that person. Like you don't have to be best friends with them, but like take them to lunch, ask them questions, hear their story, um, and then find one good thing about that person through that conversation, through getting a little closer to them, and then encourage them in that thing. Be like, man, you're so good at X, Y, or Z. And if you can't find one good thing about that person, that says so much more about you mm. than it says about them. True. And so I think, man, what great, like practical, speaking of the tangible takeaways, man, get a little closer, find one good thing and encourage them. And all of a sudden those lenses, people are rarely the caricatures we make them to be. True. Right? And I think social media helps us generate greater caricatures of people. Um, and it really facilitates the kind of third thing that you talked about in your message is these echo chambers. Social media just seems to be a spot where I can find uh, as like-minded people as possible and we can be mad at all of the same people who are the caricatures that we make them and things just kind of get, and w what we've seen consistently in our world is things just kind of get worse and worse and worse in that echo chamber. And um, I think for people who would maybe see that happening, to other people in their life, um, that they're deep in echo chambers and kind of can't hear any other voices or opinions. They might look at them judgmentally, but I think maybe the wise approach would be to look at that and say, man, that's pretty easy to slip mm -hmm. into these days, is to yeah. fall into a, an echo chamber of like-minded voices um, that, man, just perpetuate um, kind of my isolation from everybody else. So that would almost prompt me with the question, how can I echo chamber proof my life? Like, how can I be sure to be intentional about getting outside opinions and other voices? Um, and not in like a, um, super, uh, 
syncretistic way, right? Mm -hmm. Of like, well, everybody is God is God and every, right? Like, I don't want to go that extreme, but at the same time, I want to get other opinions. I want to get other perspectives in my life and not just kind of become this echo chamber. So how do I, how do I avoid that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that, you know, we, we really have in the last two years, we've seen these echo chambers tend to just bolster. There's so many environments where I can do this. And, and I think, excuse me, a lot of it is there's just a lack of civility in the way we can talk to people with differing views. Mm-hmm. One of the books that um, I shared even at the staff retreats called Winsome Convictions. And what a great thing. We often think convictions like stand your ground, don't give up. And, and yet, could those be winsome? Mm. And the authors of that book talk a lot about the way that we can be winsome is by having civility in the way we talk. And I feel like that's one of the things we just don't want to deal with people who are going to see issues differently than ours because we kind of think that's going to mean a fight. Now, I can't control them, but I sure can control me. I don't know if you've been in a conversation before where only one person is fighting. The steam runs out of that pretty quick. Yeah. Um, I'm not doing that right now. I just wanted to ask a question or I'm just wondering how this plays out in your life. And, and I don't need to keep escalating the, the drama. So I think part of it is, is kind of going, God, I want to be able to engage in conversations with people who I'm confident think differently than I do. Mm. And it doesn't mean I have to win. It's not a debate. But part of it is understanding. I'm getting better perspective of why they're coming from it this way. And I don't mean just kind of randomly walking up to people on the street. It's usually going to be um, that concept's going to be introduced to you in a circumstance. Yeah. And that's usually the problem. It's usually there's some tension or drama in whatever's going on. But to whew, let's take the air out of the room. It takes a lot of maturity. And then just kind of go, hey, you're seeing this really differently than I am. I, I don't want to assume I'm right. Help me understand what your perspective on this, because I'm sure seeing it one way. And, um, and, and I think it's inviting in those kinds of conversations, because the problem with the echo chamber idea is it really isn't just that we keep bolstering up an opinion. We shut every other dissenting voice out. Yeah. And I think if we will be conscientious to go, I need to seek some of those other voices out just to even understand because I can build up straw man arguments all day long that just aren't fair. That person doesn't really think that way. Back to what you said about caricatures. I've just developed this idea in my mind of how not even that person, but they, yeah, right? I've made a stereotype. They all, you know, kind of a thing. And I think we'll find out there's much more to the story if we'll just ask good questions. Yeah, I think our convictions they actually get weaker in an echo chamber mm. because we're just we're fighting people who think the same way as us right mm. so it's like oh man that's a great argument you know <laughs> and it's like we're all kind of patting each other on the back and then i think that's why maybe we're even struggling so much in the evangelism space these days because we go out to somebody who's not like us who doesn't think like us who doesn't hold the worldview that we hold and then they've got a question and everything comes tumbling down because we're like nobody's ever asked me that question mm. Man, if nobody's ever asked you that question, probably been living in an echo chamber, Ooh. right? Like, and all of a sudden, all the arguments come tumbling down because they're crazy weak because we haven't been dealing with people who, man, they don't even have, right? Like, 
maybe all of our arguments as Christians are based on the fact that God is creator, right? But if somebody doesn't even have that in their worldview, all of a sudden the floor's out on all the arguments. It kind of all falls apart, right? And so it's like when we interact with real people and realize, man, they have real hangups in these different spots, um, those aren't even things that I had ever thought about, right? Like, or it's not even conceptual, but it's, it's church hurt that they have, or, you know, their family member was in ministry and their family member was so hurt by the church. They just could never imagine or whatever it is, right? You go down the list, real people have real and very specific, often different from one another, um, reasons as to why they're not on board. And, um, so that is so helpful though, when we begin interacting with real people, um, because it actually bolsters our convictions because now we have to go do the hard work of saying, oh man, I need to go look that up. Right. And now almost our discipleship is being motivated by the questions of real people that we're trying to do life with instead of by our echo chamber where I'm not really getting discipled. I'm just kind of bouncing ideas off the wall and everybody's like, seems cool to me. Yeah, that works. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> right? Like, and I think that's where our discipleship can become so weak. Yeah. I think about a time that, um, and I, I wish there were more of these examples in my life, but I love is a sweet lady from here at HTC. This would have been maybe seven, eight years ago. And she was just so intentional in her relational world that was almost all people who didn't love Jesus yet. And one of the people she became close with was a, a very outspoken atheist in her community. And she invited me. I, I had no idea this happened. It was at uh, here in the desert in a restaurant on a Sunday afternoon. So look at the parallels. There's a group of about a dozen, 15 people, multiple generations gathering together for an atheist meeting. Church. Sounds like church yeah. in a lot of ways. And, um, and, and, I, and her purpose, I know, was to just introduce this group of people to two, it was her, it was me and her, I think her son-in-law, that we're just gonna kind of interact and share. But these are real Christians besides me, and I just wanted you to meet them was her, her purpose. And I remember getting there, but it was like what you said, what was so powerful. So I'm totally not in my normal environment. And there's those things of feeling a little angsty and a little anxious. But I remember what was so cool. God gave us some real wisdom to go, I don't know what you guys want to talk about. We'll talk about anything, but maybe we could get to know each other's stories. And here's 12 eighth. I mean, these are like outspoken atheists. They're not just, I don't know if there's a God. They've said there is no such thing. It's all fairy tale. We went around the room. Every single one of them had been burned, not just by the church, but by a Christian, Mm. like a parent Mm. or a brother or whatever. And every one of them had that in common. And you start listening to that and go, huh, there's a common thread There's that's running through this. And what a rich day that was just to hear their stories, not come in going, I'm going to win a debate, yep. but to give a winsome answer back when there's something that's put out there. And I'm telling you, there were a couple times that people were downright, not just like rude, but like blasphemous things were being said. And I'm like, Lord help me not to overreact and help me not to underreact because what you just said that's legit big deal stuff you're talking about but man what a day to step into a world and to find out this group of people this is what i would have never guessed they felt persecuted Mm. 
Because it's one thing to say, eh, I don't know if there's a God. No one really will mess with you. Yeah. But when you start going, no, there is no such thing as a God, they actually got persecuted, even from agnostics. They're like, well, how can you say that? And I was like, that's a thing. Like, I had no idea. Yeah. But when I got out of my, what could be an echo chamber world and stepped into theirs, I learned so much about just everyday life and even some of probably the the catalysts that have brought them to where they are. Yeah. And I just say that's the, and we don't have to do that in group settings. That could just be relationally, right? Like yeah. you said earlier at lunch or over coffee, but just going, I, I want to stop just filling my mind and my own attitudes and dispositions of just what I think versus what I could know. Yeah. Tell me about your story. Tell me about how this happened. Tell me why you've arrived at these conclusions. And that's what HDC's strategy is all about, is investing in those relationships so you can have those conversations. Because when I fill in all the gaps myself, it's really easy for me to feel like you're an idiot for whatever you believe. Mm -hmm. But man, when I start to hear your story, hear why you've landed at the conclusions you've landed at, it doesn't make your conclusions right but I've got a whole lot more empathy for the situation because I'm sitting there thinking, oh man, like you have been through a lot. And it's not just that you're the most illogical person I've ever met, but man, there's been a lot of hurt in your life. And we're not talking now about um, theological points that I'm gonna get you to agree upon. We're talking about, man, I'm sorry for the way you've been hurt. I'm sorry for the things that you've gone through. And man, that is building that winsome bridge. That's that Esther thing right? It's not time to talk about the theological questions right now. I'm feeling it out. Mm -hmm. And you've got hurt. You've got pain. We need to work through that. Eventually, if the relationship progresses, we're going to get here. But man, so many of us start here. And here's why you're wrong. Here's what you don't get. Instead of help me understand how you got here. What's your story? And man, what kind of progress would we make in those relationships? And when you think about it, didn't Jesus tell us all along I've never called you to be in an echo chamber. Yeah. I'm sending you as sheep among wolves. Yeah. It means you're going somewhere. You're you're, gonna, you're headed to echo chambers. You're going to get out of yours and yeah. go there. I'm you're not in the world, but you're of the world and I'm not praying that the Father takes you out. I'm yeah. sending you in. So for a Christian insulating ourselves with voices who only think and, and believe like we do, Jesus actually told us just the opposite. We're called into those spaces. So we better not think theologically, oh, this is actually what God wants this us to awesome. do. This is awesome. Just the opposite. It's dangerous territory. Yeah. yeah. No, I appreciate it. And thanks for taking the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully you got a tangible takeaway coming out of this weekend's message. Hope that it was encouraging, uh, maybe even the conversation for you. As always, don't forget to like the video, maybe share it with a friend, subscribe so you get updates about future videos, and leave a comment of a tangible takeaway you've got from this weekend's message there in the comments. Uh, but we'll see you guys next week on Tangible Takeaways.